Welcome to Ace Show, everybody. Y'all doing all right? Woo! A woo means all right in that case. So if you're all right, say woo. Cool. All right, I want to I start by telling you all a story about when Pastor and Nino were first getting together. Now, many of you have, most of you, maybe none of you have heard this story, but I've heard Nino, I'm sorry, no, I've heard Tammy tell it probably a dozen times. So before Pastor Nino and Tammy got together, Tammy and her roommate both had a thing for Pastor Nino, right? I mean, what young lady in her right mind would not have had a thing for Pastor Nino at that time, right, Johnny? The spiky hair. So neither Tammy nor her roommate knew that the other had a crush on Pastor Nino. So they asked him over to their apartment, and they were going to cook him this amazing dinner. They knew that, so they wanted to impress him, him, and they knew that he loved homemade spaghetti and meatballs, right? Like we had yesterday at Godfather at the Godfathers. Ooh, dang, that was good. That sauce was the boss. So they were going to just cook him the meal of his life. So right after he got off of work at Little Caesars, Pastor Nino came over to their apartment, and Tammy and her roommate were already cooking up a storm in the kitchen. Her roommate knew that the way to a man's heart is his stomach, obviously. Uh, So she stayed focused in the kitchen preparing the homemade meatballs. But Tammy, though that was her plan, when Nino walked in the door, and she saw his flower-dusted little Caesar's uniform and his black spiky hair and his dark brown eyes and his muscular forearms. Tammy's words, not mine. Everything she was doing before just melted away, as you can imagine, right? She totally forgot about the meal she was cooking and could only fix her eyes on Pastor Nino. She left her roommate to do the rest of the work, and she stayed right beside Nino, the whole night, hanging on his every word, laughing at his jokes, which means a lot to a guy, by the way. If you laugh at his jokes, that will win his heart. His stomach and his jokes. And so you all know the rest of the story. It was Tammy who won Pastor Nino's affection, right? What won his affection was not the incredible cooking, but the unbroken attention that Tammy was giving him. And so one more important detail about this story that you all need to know before I move on is that the whole thing's fake. That never actually happened. <laughs> Not a word of it. On the contrary, yeah, Brooke was like, what? This is weird. <laughs> oh, now you guys won't trust anything else I say because I'm lying to you. In actuality, it was Nino that had to win Tammy's heart in real life. And I got their permission to lie about them. So if you want to lie about somebody, just get their permission first. That's the moral of the story in this case. <clears throat> so this story actually might have chewed you guys into another biblical story that I'm thinking about that I want to read with you all right now. So turn to Matthew chapter, no, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10. And all of a sudden, my internet went down, so I don't have it on my iPad. So I'm going to grab it on my actual Bible. Paper Bible, what? People still have those? So whether you have a paper Bible or a digital Bible, you can turn to Luke 10. 
And when you get there, you got to say go blue. All right, we got some fast page turners. You slow page turners, you still got to say it. You just have to be embarrassed that you're slow. I'm just kidding. You don't have to say it. Luke 10, we're going to read the story about Mary and Martha in verses 38 through 42. Let me read it for you. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Isn't that interesting? Distracted with much serving. Not distracted with much entertainment or with much sin. She was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So of course, Martha and Mary weren't trying to earn Jesus' romantic affection like Tammy was. I just want to make sure I clarify that. We're not talking about like the Da Vinci Code here. No one probably even knows what that is anymore. But they did really want to please their Lord. So Martha was working for Jesus, right? She was distracted by many things, the word says. Her eyes were focused on all the work that had to be done and ultimately focused on herself, right? Did you, did you catch what she said to Jesus? She said, my sister has left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me, right? Her, even her language is talking about herself, right? Even though she's working, serving Jesus. Mary, on the other hand, had fixed her eyes on Jesus, sitting at his feet, listening to his every word, spending time with him. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. So Jesus does love it when we do good works for him. But he enjoys it even more when we spend time with him. I really believe that. Just fixing our eyes on him. There's a time for working. But there's also a time for gazing. And Mary wasn't really doing anything, right? But she was worshiping Jesus. Jesus received that as worship. But Martha was the one who was doing the stuff, right? She was doing everything she could think of to please Jesus in that moment. But it wasn't what he desired. It wasn't worship. I believe Martha really did have a heart to please Jesus. She loved Jesus, and Jesus loved her. And Jesus cared deeply for her, but in this moment, she became distracted and lost focus on Christ. So sometimes, I'm, I'm sure you guys have experienced this before, sometimes you can be doing spiritual things, truly desiring to bring glory to God, but we lose focus on the one for whom we're working, right? Have you guys ever had that experience? I have it all the time. It happens to me a lot. Many times throughout my Christian life, I've, I've lost focus and I've focused on myself more than on God. Many of my thoughts have surrounded how I'm performing, right? How I'm doing as a Christian, how I'm performing for Jesus, how good I'm doing in terms of obeying his commands and avoiding sin. I've struggled like Martha, thinking that I have to learn to earn the approval of Jesus by working harder, right? Any other Mar Marthas in the room? Any perfectionists in the house? Is that right? It's a healing moment. Here we go. I thought we might have a couple at U of M, some perfectionists, some hard workers. That's great. Man, you don't have to not be who you are, right? But there are things that we can, lessons that we can take from this story. 
at times my faith has become self-centered or even sin-centered instead of God-centered. Here's something that God has, has been trying to teach me. I have a quote from a gentleman named Clive Staples Lewis. Some of you maybe have heard of him. And you have probably never heard a sermon by me without a quote from him. Hallelujah. My Bible almost fell. <clears throat> Here's what Clive Staples Lewis says. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. True humility, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? A lot of people think that in order to be humble, they have to be like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not very smart. I'm kind of a worm. I kind of suck. No, that's not what being humble is. Being humble is taking our eyes off ourselves. That's what humility is. So the goal for us is not to spend so much time trying to perform for Jesus because the focus in that case can still be on ourselves, right? Not always. We can work for Jesus with the focus on him, but sometimes the focus is on ourselves when we're working hard. Our goal is to fix our eyes on Jesus and allow him to dictate and empower every action. Then when we work for him, if we're practicing focusing our eyes on him always, when we work for him, then our eyes will still be focused on him and our work, hopefully, right? So I titled the sermon, Fix Your Eyes on Jesus, From a Self-Centered Faith to a God-Centered Faith. I think most of us, I don't know if this was your experience or not, but I imagine it probably was. I think it is for most people, if not all people. When our faith begins, when our walks with Jesus begin, it begins for our own benefit, right? We hear the gospel of Christ. We hear that we are in need of salvation, that if we don't receive salvation, then hell is our destiny. And we're like, I don't want to go to hell. Or maybe you're like, man, I'm depressed. I don't want to be depressed anymore. I don't want to be lonely anymore. Or I, I don't want to be stressed out and anxious anymore or afraid. And these are some of the motivations we have in coming to Christ, right? And right or wrong, I mean, that's just where we start, right? We can't expect to be unselfish, godly people before we even know Christ, before he even lives inside of us, right? So we're drawn to him through these, these kind of self-motivations. But if we're going to serve Jesus long-term, through the trials and tribulations of life, we need to transition at some point. That self-focus has to turn and focus on Jesus. We have to become God-focused if we're going to really make it through the long haul, you know, and serve Jesus to the end. Sometimes when we talk about salvation, we say, oh, I was saved when I was 13. Um, but the scriptures, though it does talk about salvation in the past tense, it also talks about in the present tense, in the, is in the, in the present continuous tense. And we were not only saved, but we are being saved. You guys ever read that in the scriptures? And also, you see parts in the scriptures that say, those who endure till the end will be saved. Right? So salvation isn't complete until the end. And if you don't endure to the end, then you won't be saved. If you want to endure to the end, and I know you guys do, right? Then at some point, we have to transition and take the attention off ourselves and place it on a Jesus as the goal and the motivation for our salvation. Does that make sense? The motivation for our lives. If we don't make that transition, I think we're in real danger of abandoning God when it seems like it's no longer benefiting us because that time might come for you if it hasn't already. And for many of you, it has. Where you're like, what's so good about serving God? <laughs> right? You get in this place where you just like, maybe in a dark place and you're like, man, this is no fun anymore. Why am I even doing this? 
in that moment, if your faith is all about you, then you'll probably ditch it, right? So I want to read this, this passage to you. And this is the main focus of our, of our discussion today. And it's in Hebrews chapter 12. So go ahead and flip there if you don't mind. Hebrews 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. And this is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Probably one of my, like, I don't know, top 20. 10, maybe, in the New Testament. It's extremely profound. We could talk about this for like four hours. So I think we will. So hunker down. Get ready to go. Just kidding. Hopefully not that long. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 4. And I think I have it up on the... There we go. Thanks, Taylor. All star. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And that's intense, isn't it? That passage is so powerful. So what does this mean? What does it mean to fix our eyes on Jesus? What does it mean to have a God-centered faith? faith? God-centered face. <laughs> so when we fix our eyes on Jesus, this means that we make a decision to permanently focus on him, right? Our eyes are fixed. When something's fixed, it's not moving. The circumstances of life won't change our focus. No matter what's happening around us, the beauty of the Lord is the thing that's filling our eyes and minds. So when we fix our eyes on Jesus, it's not that we don't see or think about anything else, right? Some of you might be thinking like, well, I still have to study. I still have to care for my family. I still have to love my spouse. It's not that we don't see or think about these things. It's that we see and think about everything else through Christ. We look at Jesus first and through a Jesus-tinted lens is how we see ourselves, how we see our families, our friends, our work, our play. When I fix my eyes on Jesus, it doesn't mean that I just forget about my wife and kids, right? Obviously, that nearly goes without saying, but I just want to make sure I'm clear. It doesn't mean I forget about my family. It means that I now see my family through Christ, right? I see them the way Jesus sees them. I love them and treat them in the way that Jesus wants me to love and treat them. And even more powerful than that, I love and treat them in the way that Jesus loves and treats them, which is pretty cool, pretty self-sacrificial, right? I'm working on it. Oh, boy. The things that are, consain, are contained within Christ will for my life, I still see those things. And I see those things with greater clarity if I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. The things that are, consain, are contained in Christ's will, that are not contained in Christ's will for my life, then I don't see those things anymore, right? So the things that I'm focusing on are, are his things. So I want to give you three reasons why we have to, have to, have to fix our eyes on Jesus rather than ourselves. The first reason is God deserves it. Okay, we're going to get a little, little heady here for a minute. You guys up for it? You here for it? That's what cool people say. Now I'm here for it. That's what I, I got to say it to because I want to seem cool. You here for it? Cool. I figured you guys would be. So the first thing is God deserves it. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he deserves it. God is, is the center of all things. All the universe was created by God and exists for him, right? God created us for his glory. 
And you were created to fix your eyes on Jesus. Do you guys know that a human being is never happier and more fulfilled than when you're doing what you were created for? This is what you were created for, to fix your eyes on Jesus. We don't exist for ourselves. And God doesn't exist for us either. Did you know that? God has existed from eternity past, way before we were created. And so he couldn't possibly exist for people who weren't alive. Didn't exist yet, right? God exists for God. God exists for himself. And his supreme focus is not us. His supreme focus and passion is his own glory. Don't get me wrong, God loves you like crazy, right? He loves us all like crazy. But God is not human-centered. God is God-centered. And our purpose, if we want to be like God, is to be God-centered as well, right? It's not selfish for God to be God-centered like it is for you and me to be self-centered because God is both God-centered and loving at the same time. In fact, he has to be God-centered in order to be loving. So let me explain what I mean by regurgitating some ideas from a few of my guys. Regurgitating some of my guys, some of my homeboys, Jonathan Edwards, John Piper, and David Platt. Okay, you guys can look them up later. You can write down their names if you want. I got some of these ideas from reading their stuff and hearing their stuff. So first thing, if God did not focus on his own glory, who else's glory would God focus on or should God focus on, right? Who else would deserve that kind of honor? If God did turn all of creation in his own eyes towards somebody else or something else or, or someone else or a group of someones, whatever, wouldn't that person, people, or thing become God? Right? If God is focusing on somebody else's benefit or glory, wouldn't that thing become God? Secondly, if everything really does exist within God and flow from God, then if God is glorified, all of us benefit. All creation benefits if God benefits. So when God glorifies himself, then we are all beneficiaries of his well-being. Does that make sense? And if God does not glorify himself, then everyone else suffers. And so it's not selfish for God to focus on his own glory. In fact, it would be the most unloving thing God could do if he didn't focus on his own glory because then all creation, because all creation exists within, within him, then we would all suffer. So raise your hand if you've played team sports. All right, probably most of us, huh? Got some team sports peoples. So if you're on a soccer team, I did that for you, Neo. I didn't say football. No, well, yeah, football. If you're on a football team and you focus primarily on your own stats, on getting yours, right? Then would, would that benefit you long-term? Come on, Neo. Come on. <laughs> so it would probably not benefit you, I would argue. Neo maybe disagrees, but he's wrong and I'm right because I have the microphone. <laughs> so it would probably not benefit you because if your team loses, then you're still seen as a loser, right? <laughs> Most of the time, people who play the best person on the worst team is still not called a winner, right? But if, if you do focus on the benefit of the team, the team, the team, the team, can I get a witness? Then you will also benefit, right? If your team wins, 
then you, are, you will be seen as a winner. Even if you're the worst player on a good team, on a winning team, you still get the ring. You still are seen as a winner. You're still remembered as a winner, right? You still get to say, I was a part of that championship team. And so focusing on the team as a whole benefits you as an individual, right? And if the team suffers, you suffer. If the team wins, you win, right? So on God's team, we win because he wins. All right, we're gonna get a little less heady after this last thing, okay? So look at what Jesus said about Mary at the end of verse 42 in Luke 10. You can flip back there if you want or you can just listen to me read it to you. Jesus said, Mary has chosen what is better. Mary has chosen what is better. Better for whom? Yeah, Jesus does receive glory when we fix our eyes on him, but notice that he goes on to say, and it will not be taken from her. So this is something that Mary has, a joy, a jewel that Mary has found and something that she doesn't want to lose. And Jesus says, it won't be taken from her. Mary had discovered something so valuable. It doesn't seem like Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet because she's commanded to. It doesn't seem like it, right? It seems like she was just enjoying Jesus. No one told her she had to do that. She just had found this treasure and that's all she wanted to do is to focus her eyes on Jesus. Which leads to our next point. Second reason why I think we need to, we must fix our eyes on Jesus is because fixing our eyes on Jesus produces joy. Fixing our eyes on Jesus produces joy. So you guys know God is the only source of eternal joy and satisfaction for human beings, right? You guys, you guys pretty much on board with that? So if God knows that when human beings fix their eyes on him, they will experience inexpressible, uncontainable, overwhelming, eternal joy, then how unloving would it be for him if he, if he directed us to fix our eyes on anyone or anything else? God loves us so much that he will not settle for anything less than requiring all of our devotion, all of our attention, all of our affection. God loves you too much to let you honor anybody else, right? <laughs> the, Westminster, the Westminster Catechism of the 17th century, I'm saying all Eliot's favorites today. It says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Who's heard that before? <laughs> man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever and enjoy him. Isn't that cool? It's not just glorify God, but it's to enjoy him because those two things are inseparable. I believe those two things are inseparable. It's our purpose to not only bring God glory, but to enjoy him as well. We can't glorify God without enjoying him and we can't enjoy him without that resulting in his glory. Make sense? So did you know that God commands us to enjoy him? The Psalms over and over and over again, I have, a, you can put those scriptures up if you want, but I'm not gonna read them for the sake of time. Over and over and over again in the Bible, it commands us to rejoice in the Lord, to take joy in him, to delight ourselves, to take pleasure in God. Man, what a good God we have that he requires joy, that he commands enjoyment, right? What other religion can boast that? <laughs> that God requires us to delight and he knows that the only way to, to, to eternally delight is him, is enjoying him. God commands us to pursue our own joy. He wants us to be happy. 
And I'm not talking about just this like fickle, I'm happy because I just had ice cream, right? God wants us to be happy, like eternally happy. And he knows that the only way a person can be truly eternally happy is by enjoying her creator. That's the only way. Because every other happiness, you guys probably experienced this, you're happy while you're enjoying that thing, right? But then that thing's gonna be gone because everything else that we could possibly enjoy is finite. That bowl of ice cream, no matter how big it is, my dad scoops himself the biggest bowls of ice cream you've ever seen. But even if you're like my dad and you scoop a giant bowl of ice cream, that ice cream will still, that, that bowl still has a bottom. <laughs> but when you're enjoying God, there never has to be an end. That pleasure will never run out. Then we can have joy and enjoyment and pleasure for all eternity, if that's what we're enjoying. Anything else you enjoy will will cease and will disappoint you. And we waste our times, y'all. We waste our times pursuing things that won't bring us eternal joy. Okay, I gotta do. I gotta do two Clive quotes this time. You you all with me? You all here for it? I'm getting it. All right, another, another Clive quote, my best buddy. It's from his book called The Weight of Glory. And he writes, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's a zinger right there. You can tweet that one. We are far too easily pleased. How many of you, when you are struggling with something, when you're depressed or when you're tempted to sin or when you're anxious or afraid or when you're gossiping or when you're feeling superior or inferior or whatever these things that we all struggle with, when you're struggling with one of those things, does it ever come into your mind that, oh man, my desires are too weak? I'm far too easily pleased. <laughs> no, it's like most of the time we're like, oh, I want this thing so bad or I wanna, I, I wanna do this, whatever it is, so bad, right? But Jesus says our desires are too weak. Our desires don't need to be diminished. They need to be increased, because desire, in its truest form, desires God. We settle for less than we could have. And God offers us, God's offering us a steak dinner. And we're like, no thanks, God. I'll take a bologna sandwich. I'm good. Keep the steak. Or for you vegetarians, you know, something good that vegetarians eat. I don't know. <laughs> some black bean hummus. That's the good stuff, Cindy. Cindy makes some black bean hummus that'll blow your brains out. Mm, blow your mind. Let's stick with that. So we don't need God to remove our cravings. We need God to intensify them so they're so strong that nothing other than him will satisfy us. We need God to refine our palates so we will only accept him as the one who can satisfy our cravings. Amen? It's all right to say amen. It's all right to say, come on, preacher, preach. Thank you. I think I will. <laughs> so all of us have battled temptations to find our satisfaction in other things, right? And things other than God. For some of us, it's wealth or power. For others, it's success and recognition. For others, it's pleasures like sexual gratification, substance or entertainment or food or drink. For others, it's the love and acceptance of a man or a woman. 
in those times when the things of this world are trying to draw your eyes away from God, fix your eyes on Jesus. Stare at him and keep staring at him. As you do, you will begin to see that his beauty does really far surpass all the things competing for our attention. Devote your life to gazing upon God. Make it your goal to discover him more and more every day, to learn about Jesus, to become a student of the character of Jesus, to know him as he truly is. Not who you think he is, not what people have told you he is, but who he truly is. Gaze upon God like George Washington Carver gazed upon the peanut. Right? I said it's okay to say amen in church. You can say amen. Amen for the peanut. Can you show the picture of of G.W. Carver? George Washington Carver, here he is. Handsome man. I think he's in his lab here. The lab coat on. So George Washington Carver, that man must have loved peanuts. I mean, I love peanuts, especially peanut butter. I put that junk on everything. I put peanut butter on my pancakes. Huh? Any? You had it? Don't knock it till you tried it. Banana pancakes with peanut butter on them or banana blueberry pancakes with peanut butter on them and real maple syrup. I put it on my pasta, absolutely. I put peanut butter on my cake. Peanut butter frosting on cake? Get it. Again, banana cake with peanut butter frosting. I'm telling you guys, need to open, you need to open your eyes. Peanut butter what? Peanut butter pie? I put, I put peanut butter on my eggs, my steak, my lobster. I use it to wash my hair in the morning. I put a pillowcase around it and lay my head on it at night. Extremely comfortable. So as much as I love peanut butter, uh, George Washington Carver loved peanuts. That dude loved peanuts. I wonder what made him love peanuts so much. You know, maybe because they're so nutty, perhaps. Maybe because they're so light tan. The, the shell is just so waffly. I don't know. But something, <laughs> what's happening, Derek? <laughs> okay, we're going to discourse on peanuts today. So George Washington Carver came up with over a hundred uses for the peanut. Medicine, food products, etc. This guy spent a ton of time just gazing at the peanut until he learned things about it that no one else ever knew. So if this guy could discover that many different things about something as small as a peanut, <laughs> how many things do you think we could discover about an infinitely vast and complex and intricate and powerful and loving God? How many miraculous discoveries would come out of gazing upon the Lord? Right? We would never stop discovering beauty. And last thing, number three. Joy, this joy that we find when we fix our eyes on Jesus empowers us to become like Jesus. We become like him because we will see him as he is. That's 1 John, I don't have it written down. 1 John chapter 2, no, 2 John 1. Anyway, somewhere in there. We become like him when we will see him like he is. When we get to heaven, we'll become exactly like Jesus. And now we can become increasingly like him if we behold him now, as we see him, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is Hebrews 12 too. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Jesus is the one who instituted our faith. He's the pioneer of our faith. And he's the one who will bring it to completion. The pioneer and perfecter. Isn't that so awesome? He'll bring it to completion as we fix our eyes on him. Not through us trying really hard, right? This scripture tells us that the thing that enabled Jesus to endure the most excruciating suffering anyone has ever endured was what? Joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Joy and cross don't seem to go together, do they? But it was joy, joy in, in obeying the Father's will, joy in saving you and me that led Jesus to the cross because he was looking not at the cross, but he was looking at the joy on the other side of the cross, right? He was looking at you, saving you. He was looking at honoring his Father. And for that joy, it allowed him to do, it, it motivated him to do this outrageous thing, sacrificing himself on a cross for us. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, that same joy that, dro- that drove Jesus to the cross can fill us. And that joy can become our joy. And that joy will drive us to take up our own cross. And when we think of the cross, we will think joy, not suffering. Because that's what Jesus did. It doesn't mean we're robots and pretend like we don't hurt. We still hurt, but as we hurt, there's joy because we're fixing our eyes on Christ. And then verse four of Hebrews 12 tells us that we haven't resisted sin to the point of shedding our blood yet, meaning we haven't died by resisting our sin yet. But you know who did confront our sin to the point of death? Someone did resist your sin and my sin to the point of death, and that was Christ. And when we consider him, it says consider him or fix our eyes on him, that will give us strength and inspiration to attack my sin like he did right? So we will not lose heart. Consider him who did this for us because that will allow us to not lose heart. Man, if Jesus died for my sin, then I sure as heck better be ready to attack it with everything I have if if I haven't even shed blood for it yet, right? If joy can motivate Jesus to do something so crazy, then joy can definitely motivate me and you to pray and to go to core group and to stop sinning or to stop gossiping or to stop looking at pornography or to stop being anxious or afraid. Joy can motivate us for those things. When you're so full of joy in God, you don't want anything that's outside of God's will for you. When your eyes are fixed on the most beautiful person in the universe, if any competing beauty tries to steal your attention, then it just doesn't have any appeal. It loses its appeal. If you're dying of starvation or thirst, and Elliot, you started preaching this sermon the other day at, at our core leadership meeting. And I was like, hold on, you're gonna steal my thunder. If you're dying of starvation or thirst, then you'll eat or drink anything, right? You guys know what it's like. If you're starving, you'll just eat whatever, right? A bag of Doritos because you're just so hungry. But if you're satisfied, then you're not as likely to eat the Doritos or the cotton candy or whatever it is that's available, right? If, you've, if you're already satisfied, then you won't do something stupid or unhealthy, right? Have you ever ruined your appetite before a great meal? Man, that's a big bummer. One time I was in Houston, Texas at the World Mission Summit. Some of you guys maybe heard this story before. Yeah, we went down to Houston and, okay, so years ago, let me back up. Years before that, this was like 2016, I think. We went down to Houston for the World Mission Summit, which is amazing. Mark your calendars, 2025, <laughs> World Mission Summit. <clears throat> World Mission Summit. Um, 
So years ago, I had heard about this magical place called Fogo de Chao. Has anyone been to Fogo de Chao? Raise your hand. I need to know. The, okay, I need to talk to you guys because you have some, some joy that I know nothing of. <laughs> I've been to Brazilian steakhouses before, but, but I haven't been to Fogo de Chao. And when I heard of Fogo de Chao, I'd never heard of Brazilian steakhouses before. So I heard of this thing. It's this magical place where they carry around giant slabs of meat, and it's all you can eat. And they say, well, do you want some prime rib or whatever? You're like, yeah, I'll take some prime rib. And so they like shave some prime rib off on your plate for you. And then another guy comes around, do you want some like roasted garlic chicken? And you say, yeah, I'll take some chicken. And so they, they, <laughs> they shave some off on your plate. And then they like, you know, beef brisket and, and pork and all kinds of stuff. More meat than you can dream or imagine. <laughs> And, uh, and they just keep coming over and over and over again. And so I heard about this place, and I was like, I got to go. It's like immediately on my bucket list. And so we were in Houston, Texas, and there was a Fogo de Chao, like 45 minutes or a half hour from the hotel that we were, that we were at. And I was like, I got to find a way to get to this place. Like, how are we going to make this work? And so one of our former students named Eric, Eric Averett, he and I developed this plan. We're going to go to Fogo de Chao for lunch, and so we only have to spend like $50 instead of $75. It's like, you know, you go to Cedar Point, it's an experience, right? I mean, you, you know, whatever. So I was like, for the experience, I'm willing to do it once. And so we made this plan. We were going to go at like, you know, 1 or 2 p.m. after the conference ended, before our flights left. Um, and we even got a ride because we didn't have cars. Like Eric's like, hey, I got a friend of mine who's from Texas who's like wants to come with us. So we'll ride with her to Fogo de Chao. And so it was so great. We were really excited. And then that morning, we had a staff breakfast. And it was your typical, like, hotel-catered breakfast, right? It had, like, scrambled eggs and sausage and bacon and biscuits and muffins and stuff like that. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to chill. I'm going to go easy so that I, I, I have a big appetite for Fogo de Chao later. Guess what I did? I went too hard. On the muffins and the <laughs> scrambled eggs and the sausage. And so... And I even told myself, I, I, was just, I was just so hungry. I mean, just like, I was like, I could eat just a little bit more. I'll be hungry by like one. I wasn't even hungry at all. By the time one or two o'clock came around. And, I was, and so I called Eric and I was like, Eric, I can't spend 50 bucks if I'm not even hungry. <laughs> like when I go to Fogo de Chao, I am going to go ham and eat ham. And so we canceled the trip. And Eric's like, you know, actually, I didn't really want to go anyway. So anyway, it worked out. But I was like, man, I ruined my appetite by eating inferior food. Have you guys ever done that? On the other hand, on the flip side, after you've had this amazing meal, like yesterday at Godfather at the Godfathers, we had this homemade uh, meatballs and pasta sauce. And we just like went crazy. And then Noah told me just this morning, he was like, man, I went home last night and the girls were still hanging out at my apartment. And Bree's like, hey, I have all this food. And Noah's like, ugh. Uh-uh. <laughs> He's like, it, didn't even, it didn't even look good, right? Have you guys said that? Or if like, if you just finished Thanksgiving dinner and you see like a McDonald's commercial come on as you're watching the Lions lose, you like see this McDonald's commercial come on after dinner and you're like, oh, like that McRib just like makes you want to puke, right? I mean, the McRib should always make you want to puke. Let's be real but especially after you've had Thanksgiving dinner. That's how I want to be spiritually. I want to be so full of God, like I was just stuffed in this amazing Fogo de Chao meal, this amazing pasta meatballs meal or something, Thanksgiving meal, that like when I see the things that the enemy brings to me, like 
the devil's like, Chris, look at this McRib. Doesn't this look nice? I'm like, oh, disgusting, right? Makes me want to puke thinking about like adding something to this wonderful joy of my walk with Christ, this person of Jesus. How can I add anything to make that better? I can't add anything to make that better. Worldly things will just fade to the background as we behold the beauty of the Lord. Here's a quote from, a couple quotes from John Piper. I mentioned him earlier. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You can munch on that for a while. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him. And he also says, if Christ's honor is our passion, the pursuit of pleasure in him is our duty. And if your duty is not to be satisfied in God right now, then you might echo the words of the great philosopher and say, maybe it's time for me to get another duty. C.S. Lewis and Nacho Libre makes every sermon better. All right, <clears throat> so let's close it up. Can you guys come, come forward and get ready to lead us in some songs? So we're going we're gonna to have a little lab, everybody. Uh, we did a little shorter praise time at the beginning because we're going to have a little longer altar time at the end, and I just want to practice fixing our eyes on Jesus. Can we do that? Let me give you a couple, couple ideas, a few things that I want you to, to do practically. You guys can stand up while we while we get ready, but I just want to share this last part of the sermon with you. Um, <clears throat> here's some ways to fix your eyes on Jesus. As you pray, when you pray, don't just focus on yourself. Focus on God. And I think the Lord's Prayer is a great tool that we can use. We talked about this at our meeting on Friday night with core leaders. The Lord's Prayer is a great tool that you can use to help you focus on God with your prayers because it starts with God and it ends with God. So you can use that as a format for your prayers to guide your prayer time. The second thing is commit to reading through the entire Bible. When you read the Bible, don't only read passages that speak to what you're going through on that particular day. Don't just choose the U version Bible reading plan about anxiety, and then next month you choose the one about fear, and then next month you choose the one about worry. <laughs> you're getting a pretty narrow view of the Bible if you do that, right? Read through the entire Bible, because the entire Bible is focused on who? On God, not on us, right? Third thing, serve others. I'm convinced that the reason that many people are depressed in our country, not everybody, but many, is because they focus on themselves a lot and what they don't have and the, the hard things that they're going through. For me, when I'm feeling depressed, one of the best remedies for me is to turn my eyes outward and to serve somebody else. Do something hard and loving for another person. And then last thing, just gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Psalm 27, the psalmist writes, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. As we only need one thing, to gaze upon Jesus, to see how infinitely vast and beautiful and perfect and holy and forgiving and patient and powerful and loving and majestic and colorful our God is. Yahweh of hosts, Jesus Christ, the great high priest, our crucified and risen Lord. Man, that's enough. So let's make a decision to fix our eyes on Jesus and let it just free you from the perfectionism. <laughs> let it free you from this, this feeling that, that God judges you based on how you're performing for him today. Let's just, let's just receive his joy and his beauty together. All right? So you guys, if you want to come down and kneel and pray or stand and praise up front, you can. Um, 
but let's just like whatever is gonna help you fix your eyes most on Jesus right now, do that, okay? All right, let's do it.